We are kicking off a new series this morning, so I'm going to ask you that you would go ahead and grab your Bibles this morning. Reach over and grab one, and if you didn't bring one with you, there are some that are spread out throughout the seats. Um, let me just start by saying this. When I was growing up, when I was very young, um, I remember we would go to this little church in Kenosha, Wisconsin um, called Living Light, a really sweet little church, and Every Sunday, they, they didn't have any kind of kids' service. They didn't have any kind of kids' Sunday school. And so I remember, even just as a little kid who was just beginning to read, I remember that as the pastor would get up to preach after worship, because there was nowhere else for, for like, there was no age-appropriate, like, uh, leadership or, or service time, we would just be in service together, all together, as part of um, the message, which is part of the reason why I love having every fifth Sunday our entire service together, having the kids in with us in this service. I just love it. But today, um, what we're doing as we kick off this series is I kind of want to go back to that same feeling. Because what I would do every single Sunday is when the pastor would preach, he would talk and talk and talk. You guys have no idea what that's like. But I would grab my dad's Bible, and even as the pastor was preaching, I would just open it up, and I started in Genesis, and I remember this, I can just remember occasion, occasion after occasion where this would happen, and I would just read the stories in Genesis, and then I would read the stories in Exodus, and then I would read the stories in Joshua, and then I got to 1st and 2nd Samuel, and 1st and 2nd Kings, and 1st and 2nd Chronicles, and, and as I would read these stories, what I didn't know what was happening was that the stories were kind of getting into my heart and that the scripture, I didn't accept Christ until I was 18 years old. And yet, as soon as I accepted Christ, it was so interesting. It was like the Holy Spirit just brought all of those things that had kind of been put down in my heart and brought them to life. I didn't know it, but I would say that there was seeds sown into my heart and I had the scripture already in my heart and in my mind. And the Holy Spirit brought it to life. In Romans chapter 15, verse 14, or verse 4, it says, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. And that's exactly what happened for me. Just started just by reading old stories. But those scriptures, when the Holy Spirit was applied to them, brought about life and hope in my life. Okay, so here's the thing. We're kicking off this series, and what we're going to do is we're going to jump into 2 Chronicles as part of this series, but I need to kind of set this up in a couple ways. First off, every now and then I like to do this because you may not know this, but this is my preference. My preference is not to have the scriptures up on the screen. And here's the reason why. I know that might make it difficult on some of you, but I love for us together to be reading the scriptures from the Bible that's sitting in our hands. And I love being able to preach to people who brought their own Bibles to church, the Bibles that they read at home, the Bibles that they're reading in the morning, the Bibles that they're reading at night, and to have you be reading the scripture as I'm reading the scripture together in that Bible which you will also take home with you. So let me start by saying this. If you did not bring a Bible with you to church today, that's okay. Bring it next week. And I'm going to encourage you even in this. If you normally bring a digital Bible with you, not slamming that, but there is something about 
when you open the Bible up and you feel it, and you know where this scripture relates to every other scripture in the Bible, you can see that it's right in the middle or it's at the beginning or it's at the end, where you can see it in relation to the scriptures around it. When it's digital or when it's up on the screen, it's one scripture that is pulled out of context. And you have to trust that it's being applied correctly. And that is not what we're looking for. We want to be able to dig in together and read the story together. And so I'm going to give you permission today. And through this entire series, as you bring a physical Bible with you, and again, I know I'm traditional in this, and I'm going to just ask for, for, for your forgiveness if you normally bring a digital Bible, to start bringing a physical copy of the Bible, and we're going to read it together. And as we're reading, I am giving you permission to only halfway pay attention. Some of you need that permission. Some of you don't. <laughs> but, but I'm going to, and here's what I'm going to ask you to do if you are going to not be fully paying attention. That as we're reading, that you would kind of read the story around what we're reading. Because we can't hit it all. And so maybe at today, like for example, I really want to hit one verse. But we're going to read little portions of scripture, snippets of scripture, working through three chapters to get to that one verse. And in order for you to really understand what's going on, man, if you were to read everything that we're reading, pay attention with a part of your brain and then read the rest of it, I guarantee you that if nothing else, that what you read, the seed sown there will bring about fruit in your life. Okay, so that's what this series is about. We're going to be covering some of the kings, um, that, that portion of scripture that I just love, Second Chronicles. Um, I just love it. So if you would grab your Bibles, open them up to Second Chronicles chapter 14 today. Second Chronicles chapter uh, 14. We're going to start with uh, one of the kings, and, and it's not the first king. The king is King Asa, which is kind of down the line some. And the reason why we're starting with King Asa is that there are some things that happen. There are some things that happen during his reign that really build a beautiful platform for us for this entire series. So if we grasp just a few pieces from Asa and, and his life, as we grasp those things, it'll speak into the rest of this series, okay? And help us to understand it. Because for some people, when we read through Second Chronicles, maybe you don't have that same reaction that I do. Because of the fact that it started for me at a really young age, just reading through Scripture, I have this deep appreciation for just wading through the thick stuff. And some of us, maybe when we're reading Chronicles, it's like, that guy had that son, and he reigned for this amount of time, and he did this in the eyes of the Lord, and, and then he died, and this other guy came along. And, and so maybe it's not as full of life to you. And so what we want to do is we want to see the context, because the context is key. Okay, so we're reading about King Asa. Uh, King Asa was like the fifth down the line, so his father was a guy named Abijah, his grandfather was a guy named Rehoboam, his great-grandfather was a guy named Solomon, some of you have heard of him, There's, his great-great-grandfather was a guy named David. So you come down five down the list, and we get to Asa. Asa was the king of Judah, and to give a, again a background, some of you know this, some of you do not, but during the time of David and Solomon was really the golden years for Israel. They're called that. They're called the golden years. There were 80 of them because David reigned for 40 years. Solomon reigned for 40 years. And, and, and it was a time when there was like a, 
There was a power vacuum in the Middle East. The, the nations around them, Babylon hadn't yet risen. Uh, 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 Assyria had not yet re reached its zenith. Uh, 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 Egypt was on the backside of, of, of their power, and so they kind of flexed their muscles every now and then, but for the most part, they had backed off. So for like 80 years in there, there was this area wherein there's like this incubator for Israel. And, and David built the kingdom and, and expanded the kingdom. And then after him, Solomon kind of solidified the borders and there was peace. And he built the temple. There were great things that happened, considered the golden years of Israel. And then Rehoboam came along, Solomon's son, and things began to splinter. So the nation splits in two. Ten tribes go north. Two tribes stay south. And those two tribes that stay in the south, Judah and Benjamin, remain faithful to the line of David. While the ten tribes in the north, they split off and form their own kingdom and say, we will not serve the line of David. And they start their own kind of lineage of kings. We're going to be staying away from those guys because I want to follow the line of David. Because the line of David, every person that we're going to be talking about are in the line of David and in the line of Jesus. Okay? So we're starting with Asa in 2 Chronicles chapter uh, uh, 14, and this is, um, again, five after David, and, and there's this kind of tension between the north and the south at this point. Um, Asa is a king who serves for a long time. If David served for 40 years and Solomon served for 40 years, Saul served for 40 years, Rehoboam served for 17, Abijah, who was um, Asa's father, served for three years, and then Asa served for 41 years, which means that of all of the kings so far, he serves the longest. Okay, so this is the guy we're talking about. It's actually 2 Chronicles 14 all the way through 16. I'm going to hit a few things in 14 and 15 because I really want to get to 16. So let's move fast. 2 Chronicles chapter 14, verse 1 says, Abijah slept with his fathers, and they buried him in the city of David. And Asa, his son, reigned in his place. And in his days, the land had rest for 10 years. Verse 2. And Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. You find this type of phrase over and over and over again through 2 Chronicles. Sometimes it can come across like a report card for the kings, who was good and who was bad. And, and right at the very beginning, it says of Asa that he, he uh, did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. Verse 3 says, He took away the foreign altars and the high places and broke down the pillars and cut down the ashram and commanded Judah to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, and to keep the law and the covenant. So here we are, 60 years after David has died, which means that this is only 50 years after the temple was built. And already in the land, it says that there are foreign altars and asherim. Okay, the people of Israel always kind of had this external pressure. There was this like a, a, a constant kind of cultural force against the people of Israel to serve the God of the Canaanites. So before Israel came into the land, the Canaanites served some gods, and one of them was Baal. He was the head. And then there was Asherah, and Asherah was the goddess of fertility. She was the goddess who you would serve if you wanted to make sure your ground was fertile. 
And if your animals were fertile and if you wanted your family to be fertile and to have kids, you would serve the goddess of, or you would set up an Asherah pole and, and you would put it at like a high place. So you would find a big hill, which Judah and Israel are, is like a land of hills. You'd find a big hill, you'd set up this pole and you would pray to it and you would worship it. And then as a result, hopefully your, your, your land, your, your, your animals and your family would all be fertile. And there was an aspect of it because of the fact that she was the fertility goddess that was a sexualized aspect of it. In fact, if you go over to the first king's account of Asa, it says that as a part of him going through and cutting down these ashram, which is what it says he does, he gets rid of some of these foreign altars. It also says that he gets rid of the male cult prostitutes who are in the land. This is 50 years after the temple was built. And already there is worship to Asherah and Baal. There are all these high places that have sprung up all around Judah. And there are male cult prostitutes in the land. It falls pretty quick, doesn't it? And so it says Asa was a good king and he goes through and he breaks all of these things down and he removes all of the Asherim and he commanded Judah to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers. So this is a good king and he reigns for 41 years and, and things are going well for him. And then the rest of chapter 14 kind of talks about uh, a military battle. So there's this large army that comes against them. It calls them here in my version of the Bible, in the ESV here, it calls them the Ethiopians come against him and, and he lines up against them and this army is more than twice the size of his army. And they're lined up opposite each other, facing each other, and he recognizes that he has no chance on his own. Verse 11 of chapter 14, it says he cries out to the Lord his God. And Asa cried out to the Lord his God. O oh Lord, there is none like you to help between the mighty and the weak. Help us, O oh Lord our God, for we rely on you. And in your name we have come against this multitude, O oh Lord. You are our God. Let not man prevail against you. So he's standing in between the lines, calling out to God, and as a result, Judah wins. They rout this much larger army turn it against them and end up defeating them and chasing them down and just completely plundering them. They come back with all kinds of cows and, or not cows, they come back with all kinds of livestock and goats, it says. So it actually says that then they take those and they start offering up to God as a result of the fact that they won. So skip down to chapter 15, verse 9. Here's what it says. And he gathered all Judah and Benjamin and those from Ephraim and Manasseh and Simeon who were residing with them. For great numbers had deserted to him from Israel when they saw that the Lord his God was with him. And they were gathered at Jerusalem in the third month of the 15th year of the reign of Asa. And they sacrificed to the Lord on that day from the spoil that they had brought, 700 oxen and 7,000 sheep. And they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, with all their heart and with all their soul. So they enter into a covenant together to seek God. And what's really interesting, I mean, things are going well for Judah, right? What's really interesting is it says that he doesn't just gather Judah and Benjamin. Who else does it say he gathers? He gathers from 
Ephraim and Manasseh and Simeon. You know who those people are? The tribes in the north. So here's the thing. Things are going so well in Judah that the people in the north start hearing about it. And they're like, well, boy, we want to be a part of that. God's with this king. And things are going well in Judah. They're winning battles, and he's doing away with the idolatry. And man, stuff's going well. And so then people start coming from the north, and he gathers not only those who are in the south, but it says those who came and started living there from the north, he gathers them as well. And then here's what he does. He takes a covenant. He makes a covenant with them that they would all seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, with all their heart and with all their soul. So he's winning battles. He's doing away with the idolatry, the the stuff that's just absolutely terrible in the land. He's got peace in the land. He's building up cities. Man, stuff's going really well. People are flocking from the north to come to the south. And so he takes this covenant and says, we as a people will serve the Lord our God. And not only does it affect his nation, It actually affects his own family. Skip down to verse 16. Even Micaiah, his mother, which when it says mother here, Micaiah was actually his grandmother, but it's referring to her as the queen mother. Even Micaiah, his mother, King Asa, removed from being queen mother because she had made a detestable image for Asherah. Asa cut down her image, crushed it, and burned it at the brook Kidron. But the high places were not taken out of Israel. Nevertheless, the heart of Asa was wholly true all his days. And he brought into the house of God the sacred gifts of his father and his own sacred gifts, silver and gold and vessels, and there was no more war until the 35th year of the reign of Asa. So it says that even his own grandma... Even his own grandma is worshiping the goddess of fertility, which is super awkward to think about. But she was. So what does he do? He kicks her out. He kicks out his own. That's how serious he is about this. Not only does he clean them out of Judah, he finds them in Jerusalem Jerusalem itself, his own grandmother. And so he kicks her out and says, we will be pure. So as a result, it says that of him... That the heart of Asa was wholly true. Chapter 16. In the 36th year of the reign of Asa, Baasha, king of Israel, went up against Judah and built Ramah. That he might permit no one to go out or to come in to Asa, king of Judah. Okay, so Baasha is a pretty bad dude. He is the second of the dynasties in the north. So in the south, they remain faithful to the line of of David, right? In the north, they don't have that anchor. So Jeroboam's the first king. He has a son named Nadab. Two years in, he's assassinated by Baasha. Baasha doesn't just kill Nadab and take over and usurp the throne, but then he kills every single one of his living relatives. Baasha's a bad Dude, by the way, 
After his reign is over, his son takes over for two years, and then a guy named Zimri comes along and kills that guy and usurps the throne and ends up killing every single one of his descendants as well. This is the way things go in the north. In the south, it's more stable. The kings reign for longer, but in the north, man, the the reigns are much shorter, and almost every single one of them ends in bloodshed. Because of the fact that they departed from the line of David, they don't have that anchor. And so they just kind of go from one to the, over a period of 20 kings, there are nine dynasties, which means like almost every other king, there's like this bloodshed and a new guy steps in. That's what's happening in the northern tribes, right? So Baasha is the second of those dynasties. He caused the bloodshed of the dynasty before him. And it says here that he has, here's what he does. He went up against Judah and built Ramah that he might permit no one to go out or to come in to Asa, king of Judah. So Ramah is about six miles from Jerusalem. The northern kings had a problem. The worship was centered in Jerusalem. Right? So anybody who's in the north who wants to be uh, 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 someone who like makes a pilgrimage, where does he have to go? into the south. So he has to go down to Jerusalem and some of them see the good stuff that's going on and some of them are staying. And so Baasha says, well actually what's interesting is Jeroboam himself, the very first king of the north, decided, man we got to stop this. You know what he did? He built two golden calves and he said, these are your God who brought you up out of Egypt. So he tries to like take pieces of the faith and make something that's fake in order to try to replace the faith. That's what's going on in the north. And so Baasha, his plan is I'm going to build a city in the pass that runs as the corridor from the north to the south, going down to Jerusalem, and I'll stop people from going into Jerusalem. So he's building a wall. But it's not a wall to keep people out. It's a wall to keep people in. So Baasha's big plan is I'll stop it by not letting them go. I'm going to build this city within six miles of Jerusalem. No one will be able to go down and worship. I'll keep them. Verse 2. Here's Asa's response. Then Asa took silver and gold from the treasure of the house of the Lord and the king's house and sent them to Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, who lived in Damascus, saying, There's a covenant between me and you, as there was between my father and your father. Behold, I am sending to you silver and gold. Go, break your covenant with Baasha, king of Israel, that he may withdraw from me. And Ben-Hadad listened to King Asa and sent the commanders of his armies against the cities of Israel. And they conquered Ijan and Dan and Abalamayim and all of the store cities of Naphtali. And when Baasha heard of it, he stopped building Ramah and let his work cease. And then the king Asa took all Judah... And they carried away the stones of Ramah and its timber, with which Basha had been been building, and with them he built Geba and and Mizpah. So here's what he says. I've got a plan. I will send off to the king of Syria, which is the nation just to the north of Israel. And I'll try to convince them, Ben-Hadad, to break his covenant with the the northern kingdom, and to attack the kingdom from the north, then Baasha will be like, oh, i got to go protect the cities in the north. He'll abandon Ramah, head north, and and have to protect, and then I'll be saved. That's King Asa's plan. It's a pretty good plan, except for the fact that you think about the 
as a youth pastor, I don't know how many times I had to tell people, listen, as you're thinking about dating somebody, if they do it for you, they'll do it to you. If they cheated on somebody for you, they'll cheat on you. And so his big plan is to get Ben-Hadad to break his covenant that he has already made. And to get him to come and attack that king. Let's see how this works out. I mean, it seems to work. It says that it happened just as he said it would. Verse 7. At that time, Hanani the seer, Hanani the prophet, came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, Because you relied on the king of Syria and did not rely on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Syria has escaped you. Were not the Ethiopians and the Libyans a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you relied on the Lord, he gave them into your hand. He says, what are you thinking? Why did you turn to the king of Syria? Why did you turn to Ben-Hadad instead of turning to God? Do you not remember what he did for you when you were facing the Ethiopians? That army was much bigger. And you turned to God. But here you are in a less serious situation and you try to handle it yourself. And then he makes a statement, which I believe this one verse sets up this entire series so perfectly. Helps us to understand what happens in Chronicles and in the stories of the kings. Uh, in chapter 16, verse 9, it says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. You have done foolishly in this, for from now on you will have wars. And by the way, Syria begins to become a thorn in the side of Judah from this point on. But he says, God's eyes are looking to and fro throughout the whole earth. You know what he's seeking? You know what he's looking for? He's looking for someone whose heart will be blameless toward him. And the word blameless, if you have the NIV or the NASB, it says uh, someone whose heart is whole towards him. That's the literal translation of it. His heart is wholly God's. Now wait a second. In chapter 15, verse 17, it said, Nevertheless, the heart of Asa was wholly true. So is it... Is it Holy true or is it not? What in the world happens between 15 verse, verse 17 there and 16 verse 9? What goes wrong? What changes? Well, we find out in the next couple of verses. 16 verse 10 says, Then Asa was angry with the seer and put him in the stocks in prison. For he was in a rage with him because of this. And Asa inflicted cruelties upon some of the people at the same time. What has changed? I thought he did right in the eyes of the Lord. Now he's putting a prophet in prison? Verse 11. The acts of Asa from first to last are written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. In the 39th year of his reign, Asa was diseased in his feet. And his disease became severe. Yet even in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but sought help from physicians. 
Let me tell you what this is not saying. This is not saying that we shouldn't go to doctors. Not saying that at all. Because we know that King Hezekiah, uh, that God spoke through a prophet and said, here's what you need to do. You need to treat this and God will heal you. So we know that that's not what this is saying. What this is saying is that somewhere along the way, Asa stopped seeking the Lord. Somewhere between 15 verse 17 and 16 verse 9, something changed. That word seek in the original language, it's a great word because it, it doesn't, the root of it, the word comes from the idea. It's actually, it says to trample underfoot the way to God. Trample underfoot the way to God. The image there is this. When we first bought a house, Liz and me, we had two dogs. And those dogs were like our kids. Then we had kids, and now they're just dogs. But at the time, man, like, we wanted to treat them well, so we decided to, like, spend a ton of money on, like, an irrigation system. And, 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 and we put in sod all through the yard. Spent, like, five grand on this sod. I mean, just like ridiculous. We wanted them to, I guess, poop on a carpet of grass. I, I don't know what exactly we were thinking, but somehow we thought that was a great idea. And, and, and it was beautiful for like about five weeks. And then all of a sudden there was this spot that started just turning brown. And then it became dirt. We're like, what in the world is going on here? And then one time, because it was right along our, our fence line... Um, and it only went halfway back, and it just turned into this big just dirt. And what it was, was one time I was at home, and our dogs were outside, and our neighbor let their dog out. And it was a little yappy dog that you can barely call a dog, more of a rat than a dog, but it could, that kind of thing. And so this dog started running back and forth, and their fence only went halfway back on our fence, and was running back and forth, barking at our real dogs. Because he was trying to prove that he was a dog in spite of the fact that he wasn't. And so our dogs then couldn't take that affront and were living, running right alongside them back and forth, barking right back at this little rat. And over time, this beautiful grass got trampled underfoot to the point where it just became dirt. When it says, seek the Lord... It means you walk that path over and over and over again until the path has become so worn because you've done it so many times. Seek the Lord doesn't mean happen one time. If you say to me, you know, Alan, I sought the Lord and I found Jesus, I would say back to you, you better find him every single day. Because seeking the Lord is not a one-time gig. It is every single day, and, and, and here he says, this is what God is seeking himself. His eyes are going to and fro, searching for someone whose heart is whole towards him, someone who is seeking him. That's what he's looking for. And some of us, man, we're like, oh, so God's watching. God's eyes are going to and fro. And we're like, yeah, okay, thanks, God. But read the passage. This isn't God's eyes looking back and forth, seeking whom he might smite. What does it actually say in verse 9? For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth. What? To give strong support to those whose heart is whole towards him. 
He's not looking to smite. He's looking to give strong support. And Asa responds negatively when this prophet comes to him and says this to him. Look what Hanani actually said to him. Back up a couple more verses. Verse 7. At that time, Hanani the seer came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, Because you relied on the king of Syria and did not rely on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Syria has escaped you. Who escaped him? Wasn't the king of Israel? It wasn't his little army. It wasn't Baasha. You think Baasha? Baasha was small potatoes. What do you think God is going to allow a king to stand in between people and where they want to go to worship him? Baasha was God's problem. What was it that God wanted to do for Asa? He wanted to give him Syria. And he missed it because he undercut going back to God. He stopped seeking God and instead decided to try to do it in his own power. He missed out on the fact that God was going to give him Syria. His eyes are going to and fro, seeking whom he might support strongly. And we think his eyes are going to and fro. That's intimidating. Are you kidding me? He wants to give us Syria. He wants to give us strong support. Let's recognize that fact. And the difference comes down to this. Will we seek him? Not one time. Not just, oh, I turned my heart to Jesus. Every single day. Asher and I were on Friday. It was Daddy Day and had Claire and Asher for the first time. Claire was there with me in a long time because school was out. And so we went shopping and did some things, and so I had some change left over afterwards and gave 25 cents to each of them, two dimes and five pennies to Clara, and then quarter to Asher. And everything was going great. I was looking back at them as we were driving. And their fists are around this. They're not letting it go, you know. And then we get home. I'm getting out of the car, and I hear, Ting, ting, ting. I went, oh. And then I hear the mournful wail of Asher. My quarter! And so I start looking, and I cannot find this thing. It's amazing how many nooks and crannies there are in a minivan. So I search, and I search, and I can't get it, so I just give up. Asher walks into the house mourning, and Liz is like, what? Just what? I... And he's crying and crying. I said, Asher, we'll look again tomorrow morning. So Saturday morning, we went out with flashlights. And we're searching underneath the, 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 the seats and in every nook and cranny you can find in a minivan. And eventually, he found that quarter. And the rejoicing was great in the land. <laughs> if you read some of the story as I was reading... You will find multiple times in this scripture where God tells them, if you seek me, you will find me. How can he promise such a thing? Well, God's not playing hide and seek. In that story, 
God's not the quarter. We are. That's what Jesus said. He compared God to a woman who lost a coin, and so she sweeps the whole thing and searches the whole house until she finds it, and then she rejoices because she found that coin. We're the coin, not the one who's searching. God's not hiding from us. The problem is that there are pressures in our culture that are constantly pushing against us. Little deceptions, little distractions that hide him from us. Our own heart, the the pride, the selfishness, all of those things grow up within us. And if we do not beat a path to him every single day, sooner or later he will be hidden from us. But he's not the one who moved. That's what it looks like to seek him. It means every single day. And so if you say to me, Alan, man, I'm just on coast. That's not the way it works. You're half-hearted towards God. If you are not daily setting in your mind, I will seek the Lord today, then you are falling away from him. King Asa did not finish strong. And man, you read the end of his story and you read the first of his story and and God is so full of grace. He's so full of grace and it says right at the end, the acts of Asa, he was buried and he laid on a bier and they had this filled with various kinds of spices prepared by the perfumers. I mean, they gave him great honor at the end of his life. But you wonder, what if? What if? And in our lives, man, I think so many times we don't even know it's happening. Somewhere along the way, Asa's heart was not whole towards God. Because somewhere along the way, he stopped beating a path to him. And the question is, are we? Are we every single day saying the first priority is God? And every single day, are we opening up whatever Bible we have, digital, physical, whatever? Every single day, are we allowing it to convict us? Every single day, are we beating back the pride and the selfishness? Are we pushing back against the gods of sex and materialism and selfishness and the American dream? Because that's what they are. In the same way that Israel had those forces constantly pushing against her. That's what we have pushing against us. And I wonder how many times we're caught worshiping Asherah. Because God is seeking. Hebrews 11.7 says he is still to this day. Hebrews 11.6 says, but without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. Diligently seek him. This morning, I believe that as we kick off the series, this one verse, uh, chapter 16, verse 9, speaks to all of Chronicles. God is seeking, searching 
for those who are seeking him, whose heart is wholly his. And as he's searching, as he's seeking, he's not seeking to see whom he might smite, but whom he might strongly support. Let us seek him. Father,